0: Amen. By your grace and for your glory—that's our story, isn't it? That's what we do. By His grace, for His glory—it's all about Him. Well, it's good to be back tonight, and tonight is our our last night. And I'm like Brother Sammy—I hate to see it come to an end. Um, I feel a little bit like that little jingle I heard one time that said there. Once was a poet from Japan whose poetry no one could stand when told it was so. He said, yes, this I know, but I always try to get as many words in the last line as I can. I kind of feel like that guy tonight because I just want to sort of cram a whole lot of it. I was looking at all the sermons. I probably bought, brought 40 sermons with me. And I'm looking at all that saying, man, I wish I have preached that. I, I, I should have done that. But, but I think the Lord has led us to each message And I pray that they've been a blessing to you. I can't thank you enough for this week. This has been a breath of fresh air for me. This has been a wonderful week of uh, of enjoying the presence of the Lord and the fellowship of God's people. Uh, I can't thank your sound people enough and and, uh, media technicians that have done such a marvelous job. I am so impressed with your church. I'm just honest. I'm in a lot of of, uh, churches and not all of them have it all together. And I know you, you'll you say, we don't have it all together, um, but but you have a lot going on. There's so much done in this church with excellence. And this is, the, this is the biggest thing that I've noticed, is that what you've done, you've done with excellence for the glory, by His grace and for His glory. You've done it well. And I know that comes from your leadership. Your pastor believes in doing things right and doing things with excellence, and he has led you well all these uh, 69 years that he's been your... Pastor, oh, I I tell you, he he is a blessing, and and everywhere I go, when I have told people I'm going to be at Mountain View and Phil Campbell, they say, "Oh, that's Sammy Taylor, that's a fine guy, that's a fine guy," and and if I talk to anybody outside of his own immediate family, they'll probably say the same thing, (laughs) I'm sure, but. But you've been so gracious, you and, and Miss Judy, thank you so much for, and, and Corey and all, all the family, thank you for being so kind to me and so gracious to me. Thank you for the motel accommodations, it's been good. Uh, I've enjoyed, I've gotten to share Christ with some of the folks there several times and I'm praying for salvation of one particular guy there. I, I shared my book with him today and he promised to read it. Now it's funny, I gave him a gospel track and he wouldn't read the track. I asked him three times. And he wouldn't read the track, but I gave him a book, and he said he was going to read it, so I'm praying that he will. Uh, the, the room was, was uh, so comfortable, slept good every night, pillows were so soft, the towels were so soft, I had a hard time getting my suitcase closed with all of them in it. They were so fluffy and, and soft. But uh, and I really appreciate our musicians. I think our pianists, and, and particularly Brother uh, Kyle and Brother Terry and the Good job they've done. This has been some of the best revival singing that I've been a part of in in a long, long time. And I appreciate you guys for what you've done. It ain't always that way. Uh, I've been in some churches and some revivals where, you know, the the music guy just didn't have it in his heart. And it was just, it was like it was drudgery. And it's hard to get up and preach after that, but it's not been hard uh, here i know one church that was struggling between the pastor and the music director they don't always get along sammy I mean, you may know that but they don't always get along you have to get along because it's your son right and um but they weren't on the same page the first week the preacher was there he preached on commitment and how we ought to dedicate everything to the lord and the service of the lord and the song leader led the song i shall not be moved it didn't quite go with his message The second week, the preacher preached on tithing and how we ought to give to the Lord's work. And song leader led the song, Jesus Paid It All. That didn't go over real good. Third week, the preacher preached on gospel and how we should all uh, dedicate our tongues to the Lord and use it for his glory. And the song leader led the song, I Love to Tell the Story. This thing's getting worse. With all that going on, the preacher became sort of frustrated and told the church that he... He was thinking about resigning, and the song leader led the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? (laughs) So the next Sunday, the preacher came back, and he actually did resign, and he said, I just want to tell you one thing, in case you're wondering, it was Jesus who led me here, and it was Jesus who's leading me away, and the song leader led the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. (laughs) But I'm thankful that we didn't have that problem this week. We were all on the same page, and these guys have done a marvelous job, and I'd like for you to just take a minute with me and show your appreciation to all your staff and all your leadership, and let's just give them all a round of applause. Would you do that just to say thank you, thank you for what you've done and helping make this revival what it is. If you have a Bible with you tonight, I'd like for you to open that Bible to the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books, Ephesians, the sixth chapter And I want to preach a message tonight called One More Round. One More Round. You'll understand at the end of the message why I've called it that. But One More Round is the theme of our message tonight. And in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13, Paul is addressing this wonderful group of Christians at Ephesus. Now he's already been through a whole lot of theology with them. He started in chapter 1, and he's talking about all that we have in Christ, and who we are in Christ, and what Christ has done for us. He goes into chapter 2, and he talks about being saved by grace. Then he gets into chapter 3, and he's talking about the unity of the church. He gets to chapter 4, and he's talking about the gifts that God gives the church. And he gets to chapter 5, and he talks about the Spirit-filled life. And he gets to chapter 6, and it's like he takes a deep breath. And in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren. And I think by that he's saying, Finally, I get to say what I've been wanting to say. All this time, I've been trying to get to this. And I had to go through all that other to get here. But finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of And that word means tricks or traps of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, on the basis of this, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Having done all to stand. Now that's my ring for a text, and I hope that wasn't my phone. But I think, I, think I put mine on silent. But that's my same, my same one. Miss Judy, would you check my phone? No, you don't have to do that. It's, it's, I think mine's on mute. So Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. All right, Now now think with me. We're living in tough days these are difficult days for the church uh, the days of what i call leave it to beaver kind of christianity the 1950s the 1960s those days are gone forever uh, just the easy going kind of christianity uh, sort of just a walk in the park kind of stuff those days are gone you and i know That the church is under attack today. You and I know that Satan has launched an all out assault on Christians, not only in America, but all over the world. In fact, we we have an enemy, and Paul is saying, he's saying we we have we all these things we want to do for the Lord, we're gonna have opposition. God wants His church to be strong. He wants His church to be bold. He wants His church to to claim the territory that God has given them, to stand for Christ and for righteousness and for truth and for morality. But He said, you need to understand, we have an enemy who's going to fight us every step of the way. And I believe this church wants to be a church that makes a difference in your community and in the state and in the world. I believe this church has a vision of making a difference for Christ. But you need to understand, it, it, we have an enemy who's going to try to thwart that at every possibility. What's it going to take for your church, this church, to be the kind of church that God can use to win back your community, to impact your schools, to impact your county and the world from right here in Phil Campbell, Alabama. That's what God wants. It's not going to be easy. And that's what Paul is saying to these Ephesian Christians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. So I'm going to tell you three things that I think Paul mentions here that is required of a church that's going to be a church that God really uses. And the first thing is this. Paul says you have to have the heart of a hero. The heart of a hero. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He's challenging them to man up, to stand up, to be strong in the Lord. Now why would he tell these Ephesian Christians to be strong? Well, it's because they were feeling weak. This church was living, this church was set in a time when the Roman world was persecuting Christians. And they were feeling weak and overwhelmed and discouraged and small. And Paul is trying to pull them up. He he sounds a lot like Joshua in the Old Testament when he was telling the children of Israel, we're about to cross over the river into the promised land and there are giants in that land and there's an enemy in that land and you need to be strong. And this is how Joshua put it. Joshua 1.6, he says to the children of Israel, listen to how similar this sounds to what Paul is saying. Joshua said, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And in verse 9, he says it again. The third time, have I not commanded you? He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Paul is talking to these Ephesian Christians in the same way. He's saying, be strong, stand up, don't be discouraged, lift up your hands, straighten up your back and look the devil in the eye and proclaim the victory of Christ. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 is a very interesting passage. Especially if you read it in the the King James. And I read it for years and wondered what it meant. It says in the King James, this is how it says it. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men. Chris, what's that mean? Quit ye like men. I didn't know what that meant what does it mean to quit ye like men that's that's 1611 Elizabethan English we don't talk like that anymore so I began to look at what those words meant and what quit ye like men means it means to straighten your shoulders up stay, stand up tall lift your chin up it means to be strong it means to act like a man that's what it means and that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and this is what he's saying to the Ephesians you've got to be strong Ladies and gentlemen, what Paul is telling us tonight is that this is not going to be a time for the faint-hearted. The days ahead are not going to be a time for sissified, passive Christianity. We need ordinary people who are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit and can stand tall and stand strong for Christ. Strengthen yourselves in the Lord and get ready for the battle. There's a battle going on. It's a spiritual battle. And Paul is saying the victory is ours. What we need to do is get into the battle and go in the strength of the Lord, not in our own strength, and claim the victory for Christ. We all know that Christianity can survive without America. We also know that America cannot survive without Christianity. And it will not. So we have to be strong. We have to have what I'm calling the heart of a hero. All this talk about be courageous, be strong. He's talking about having the heart of a a hero. It takes courage. My son, I have three daughters and I have a son. He's 27, um, is, is a firefighter in Foley, Alabama. And my son... I, I tell him, you're my, you're my hero. And I consider him a hero. I, I know he's, he's carried um, the charred remains of little children out of burning homes. He's rescued people from fires. He is a firefighter. It's his life. It's his dream. He says to me, he says, Daddy, as surely as you're called to preach, I'm called to be a firefighter. It's what he lo- He doesn't make any money. It's a shame what we pay our, our officers and our our uh, police and what we pay our first responders. We ought to be ashamed. But he's so full of, of the right kind of pride in what he does. He says, I'm helping people. But why is it that we call our firemen and our policemen and our military and our first responders heroes? Why do we call them that? And we do. Is it not because they are willing to lay their life on the line for somebody else, even somebody they don't even know? And they're led on the line. They'll put their life at risk for somebody else. That is the heart of a hero. And so for the church, what I'm talking about tonight is, where are the people in this church, where are the men and women of this church who will lay their lives aside for the sake of others? Who will be serious about winning the battle for Christ, about leading this church forward? Where are the heroes in this church, the time has come when we cannot be part-time Christians anymore. And for years we thought, well, I, you know, I, I work at the factory, or I work at this, or I do this, and then I go to church on Sunday. I'm kind of a part-time Christian, and I'm a full-time carpenter. It's the other way around. You've got to be a full-time Christian. And then everything else, it just sort of dovetails into that. That's your number one job, is to live for Jesus, to let Jesus live through you, to let others see Christ in you. Your full-time job is to be a child of God, being salt and light wherever you go for the glory of God. And that's your job. Now, if you have to work at a hospital, or as a nurse, or as a carpenter, or as a factory a person if you have to do that to put bread on the table god bless you that's what you do but you do that for christ too but your life is about jesus we've got to have that if we're going to win our communities back if we're going to make win our schools back if we're going to win our counties back if we're going to win this nation back to christ it's going to take men and women with courage and with strength the heart of a hero I tell churches, don't expect your pastor to be a politician. He's not going to make everybody happy. It's not his job. Leonard Ravenhill used to say, if Jesus Christ had preached the same message a lot of preachers preach today, he would have never been crucified. Think about that. We don't want our pastors, we don't need pastors who are cute or clever. We don't need cute and clever. What we need is courageous and convictions and you can thank god you have one like that and you know there's a difference between a prophet and a politician did you know that now i'm i'm not picking on politicians (laughs) terry y'all didn't see me when i came in i flashed him 14 is that the number he won the election by 14 votes praise god that's a one. yeah amen (laughs) praise the lord we need good and godly men in that world But there's a difference between a prophet and a politician. I don't consider Terry a politician. Here's here's the difference. The nature of a politician is that of compromise. He has to try to make everybody happy, both sides happy. The nature of a prophet is conviction. His ministry is one of conviction. He preaches what God, he says what God puts on his heart to say, A politician will tell you what you want to hear and take you where you want to go, but a prophet will tell you what you need to hear and take you where you need to go. That's the difference. And we need prophets in the pulpit today. A man who fears God fears no man. Fear is the beginning of defeat. We need men and women in the church who have no fear. Fear nothing but God. So the question I have tonight is, Where are the Elijahs in this church who will stand for God, though outnumbered 850 to 1, and pray so that the world will know that the Lord is God and see the fire of heaven fall? Where are those Elijahs? Where are the little Davids in this church who will go out in the battlefield and run to the battle and look the giants in the the eye? David looked Goliath in the kneecap, I think. He was that small up against Goliath. And they said you can't hit him he's too big to hit and David said I can hit him he's too big to miss. They said look how much bigger he is than you is. He said you are. He said I'm looking at how much smaller he is than God is. And so David went out and fought Goliath and brought him down for the glory of God. Where are the Davids in this church that everybody else says you can't do it but you're willing to stand for Christ and get the job done? Where are the Isaiahs in this church whose lips have been touched with coals from the altar of God and they're on fire for God? Where are the Emmaus apostles who said, did not our hearts burn within us when he walked with us? Where are the John Wesleys in this church who John Wesley, when they kicked him out of the church, said, don't let him back in our churches? The Anglican church did. And they said, he went out in the fields and began to preach. And by the tens of thousands, people went to the fields to hear John Wesley preach. Somebody said, how do you account for that many crowd, that many people coming out in the field to hear you preach? He said, I just pray till my soul is set on fire, and then I just burn for Jesus. And they come to watch me burn. We need the attitude of an old rural preacher who prayed, Lord, give me a backbone as big as us. Now, you young people are not going to understand this, but you older ones will. Give me a backbone as big as a saw log and ribs in the, like the sleepers under the church floor. Put iron shoes on me and galvanized britches. Give me a rhinoceros hide for skin and hang a wagon load of determination up in the gable end of my soul. Help me to sign a contract to fight the devil as long as I've got a fist and then to bite him as long as I've got a tooth and then when I'm old and toothless, help me to gum him till he dies. I like that old rural preacher's prayer, don't you? We need men of God. The heart of a hero. It's going to take some of you men stepping forward and saying, I'm not much, but all that I am belongs to Jesus. And I'm going to lead my family. And I'm going to lead my wife. And I'm going to lead my children. And I'm going to lead my church. And we're going to go forward for Jesus. We're not going to retreat. We're going to advance. We're not going to cower and hide We're going to get in the battle. Sign me up, Jesus. You wake up in the morning and say, Lord Jesus, Terry Long, reporting for duty. What do you want me to do today? You're in the army. So we desperately need people with the heart of a hero. Second thing Paul says we need is not only the heart of a hero. We need the spirit of a soldier. Now, that's verses 11 and 12. Now, I want you to look at that again with me. I want to point something out. In verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I want you to notice how many times he says the word against. Against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. You get the idea that if you're going to be a man of God, a woman of God, you may have to be against some things. Never forget the against factor. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. By the way, a lot of times Christians tell me they don't like controversy. Ah, preacher, I'm not, I'm not one to be involved in controversy. Do you know who the most controversial man who ever walked this planet was? Jesus Christ. He didn't leave you an option to just relegate him to a good prophet or a good man. If he wasn't God, he was the worst person who ever lived on this planet. You've got to accept him either as Lord or you've got to declare he's a lunatic or he's a liar. But he's not a good man if he's not God. And if he is God, we need to bow before him and let him have our lives. Jesus said, I came to bring peace, not peace, but a sword. Now he'll give you peace. You say, well, what did he mean by that? He meant that if you live for him, and you're a true Christian, there are going to be times when you're going to have to confront the world and confront the lies that the enemy is telling you. And you'll have to decide. And the world will have to decide. You may be divisive. You may be considered to be divisive. You may be considered to be controversial. And controversy, by the way, for the sake of controversy, is no good. You don't want to be controversial for the sake of controversy. That's not noble. But controversy for the sake of truth is always good. Listen, there, nothing matters but the truth. Find the truth. It'll always lead you to Jesus, by the way, because He said, I am the truth. It is better to speak a truth that hurts and then heals than to speak a lie that comforts and then kills. It is better to be united in, in truth than to be divided by error. It is better to, 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 be, uh, to stand, for the, stand alone for what is right than to be wrong with the multitudes. And there are going to be times when people are sitting down that you need to stand up, and that's going to be controversial. There's going to be times when you need to speak out when everybody else is being silent. We need heroes in the church today. We need people who have the spirit of a soldier. You may have to stand against some things, and that's great. Make sure you also stand for some things. Don't always be against stuff. Make sure people know you're for the good things, the right things. Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now let's just stop right there for just a second. If you're here tonight and you think you're going to get to heaven by your own goodness, by your own works, by your, by, by your church attendance or anything else, you're fooled. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. It's not through the Baptist church. It's not through the Methodist church. It's not through the Pentecostal church. It's not through the Presbyterian church. You might get saved in any of those churches, but you're going to go to heaven by Jesus Christ. Now, you can be a Baptist and, and go to heaven if you got saved by Jesus, but you're not going to go to heaven because you're a Baptist. You can go to hell as fast from the pew of a Baptist church as, a, as a, a person that's never heard the name Jesus in the jungles of Africa would go to hell. You, you, you'll, you'll, you can split hell wide open. Or as voice used to say on the Gulf Coast that I used to hear him on the radio all the time, he said, you're going to go to hell like a bullet, my friend, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. And, and incre- listen, the most hated verse in the Bible is John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, the world hates that because we live in a, in a polytheistic society. We want, we want to believe everybody's right, like Oprah Winfrey says. But Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. That means you've got to have the spirit of a soldier. He said, but I thought Jesus said we're to be peace lovers. He never said that. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers. There's a time, you know, a peacemaker is one who will seek to make peace and be peaceful unless it compromises the truth. A peace lover will want peace at any cost. It's all about peace and love, and and yet there's a time to stand for the truth and speak the truth in love. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church on this, this confession of faith in me. Simon Peter said it, and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church folks that puts the church on the offense because gates don't attack anybody the church is on the offense not the defense we are the gate crashers of hell we're to be storm chasers of the gates of hell and listen i don't know about you but i've read the last page of the book and we win and not by a field goal in the last three seconds we win big it's a slaughter in the end It's not even close because Jesus Christ took the devil and all his demons and he conquered them at the cross and he paraded them in front of the cross and they had to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, that same Jesus is coming back for his bride, for his children. He's going to take us home to heaven and we'll be with him forever. That's the Jesus we say we serve and we're looking for. But you've got to have the spirit of a soldier. Paul said against, we're against the powers of wickedness. We're against flesh and blood. We're against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the hosts of wickedness. We're against the devil and all that he's doing. And there are just some things that you're going to have to fight for. You know, folks, let's just be honest. We've let the devil take some things that don't belong to him. He's taken a lot of things that don't belong to him. He's taken our marriages. Marriage is in such disrespect today that, that young people don't even think about getting married. They don't even think about it. They just shack up. They just sleep together. They don't even think marriage is important. But God said marriage was important. That's the right way. We're going to have to take our marriages back. We need to take our families back. He's taken our families. He's taken our children. He's taken our homes. He's taken our joy. He's taken our boldness. He's taken our witness. He's taken our community. He's taken our schools. And I don't know about you, but I'm really ready to take all that back for the glory of God. And you can't take it back without fighting. Satan has set up strongholds all over this nation. He's got them all over this county. Stronghold is a beachhead. It's a headquarters. It's an area where he's entrenched. And he's set that up all over the, the country. There are strongholds of alcohol, strongholds of drugs, strongholds of poverty, strongholds of pornography, strongholds of immorality, strongholds of hatred, strongholds of racism, strongholds of division. And Paul says we wrestle against those things. And it's amazing. Paul was a sportsman. Did you know that? Paul often talked about various sports. He was very familiar with all the sports of his day. He talked about boxing. He talked about racing. He talked about wrestling. Here, he's just talking about wrestling a lot. He says, we wrestle. You know what I know about wrestling? Very little, but I do know this. Wrestling is a hand-to-hand combat sport. It's up close and personal. You don't don't wrestle with somebody from across the room. You've got to put your arms around the opponent. You've got to get close enough to smell his breath. That's wrestling. And so we're not in a a battle where we're lobbing martyrs 20 miles away to the enemy. We're in hand-to-hand combat with the demons and powers of hell. You may not believe that, but it's true say well i think that's silly well guess who's telling you that's silly it's not jesus it's not the holy spirit the power of the enemy is real we don't have to be afraid of him he knows who wins he knows we have the victory he just knows most of us don't believe it and he's bluffing until you find the truth he'll push you and, and run you until you find out that you are victorious in christ and that you stand in christ in the shed blood of Christ, and you stand against Him, and you say, in the name of Jesus, I will not let you push me around anymore. In the name of Jesus, I will stand against you, and I bring the blood, and I bring the name, and I bring the cross of Jesus. And when you do that, the devil knows his reign of terror in your life is over. And the footsteps you'll hear fleeing will not be yours. They'll be his. Hand-to-hand combat we wrestle. You have to have the spirit of a soldier to take back our nation, to take back our land, to take back our schools and our community and our churches. So you have to have the heart of a hero first. Secondly, you have to have the spirit of a soldier. But let me give you this last one. You have to have the guts of a gladiator. talked about gladiators with the young people tonight. You have to have the guts of a gladiator. Look at verse 13 therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand and then he goes on in the next four verses and describes the armor of a gladiator or a soldier and gladiators fought to the death or either they fought for their eyes it's one of the two either they were going to fight till they one of them died or fight till one of them lost the contest and then the uh, they would gouge his eyes out and he'd be blind the rest of his life. So you were fighting for something serious. So you've got to have the guts of a gladiator. What I mean by that is this, if you got knocked down as a gladiator, you got right back up and you kept fighting as long as you had a breath. You don't quit, you don't give up if you get knocked down. You're willing to die. You'll go all the way to the end. Paul said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but but that now as always, so now also Christ should be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul said, I don't care whether I die or live as long as Christ is glorified in my body. You cannot hurt a man when he believes that death is a positive option. What can you do to a man like that? That's why they didn't know how to deal with Paul. Paul knew what was waiting for him on the other side. He had already tiptoed to the edge and peeked over. He knew. He was ready to go. Death was not a terror to him. You can't hurt a man when he sees death as a positive option. You can't bribe him. You can't buy him off. You can't turn his mind away you can't get him to be disloyal I mean he's just going to stay the course because you can't threaten him Joseph Tan was the spiritual leader of Romania still is to this day and Joseph Tan got saved in Romania and wanted to come to America to get theological education so he could preach and go back and and win his people to Christ this was when the communist regime of Ceausescu was at its peak was very oppressive And Joseph Tan came to America, got theologically educated, and got ready to go back. And his brothers and sisters sent him a letter and said, Joseph, you can't come back. Don't come back here. They're waiting for you. They're going to kill you because they know you're coming back to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're waiting to kill you. They'll imprison you. They'll torture you. They'll kill you. Don't come back. He said he prayed about it and asked the Lord, should I go back or should I not go back? Have such a burden for my country, but they're waiting to kill me. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, you can go back, but you must go as a lamb led to the slaughter. If you're not willing to go like that, don't go at all. Joseph made the decision to go. and When he got back, he did everything in his power to avoid the Ceaușescu's security guards. He, he, he hid, he preached in the underground church. He, he, they, they kept him shielded. But finally, Ceaușescu's guys caught up with him and they arrested him they put him in a prison and they tortured him and they beat him trying to get him to deny christ trying to break him, his spirit they couldn't he was committed you know, remember he went back as a lamb led to the slaughter he knew he might die and he was willing to go he, he had no fear of death and they were torturing him one day and beating him and there was one particular interrogator that was particularly brutal and he, they had him chained up and he said to him joseph If you don't deny Christ, I'm going to kill you today. This will be your last day on earth. And then Joseph Tan said, Okay, go ahead and kill me. But you need to know that killing me is your greatest weapon. If you use your greatest weapon against me, you'll force me to use my greatest weapon against you. All the guards laughed because he was chained to a wall. He was beaten to a bloody pulp. They said, You have no weapons. He said, Oh, yes, I do. If killing me is your greatest weapon, then my dying for my faith is my greatest weapon. And you know that my sermons are all over this country in print. And if you kill me, you will sprinkle those sermons with my blood and they'll become ten times more powerful. Go ahead. Use your greatest weapon. Kill me. I'm not afraid. And That interrogator looked at him and he turned to the guards and he shook his head and he said, Let him go. He's a crazy man. A sane man would never talk like that. Let him go. He can't. He's harmless. People are not going to listen to him. He's crazy. And they released Joseph Tan, And from that day forward, while he had before been trying to preserve his life, now he could stand publicly on the street corner and preach, and they would just walk by and laugh. But other people were listening to his message. Remember, Jesus said, he that saves his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake will find it. And Joseph Tan survived Ceausescu, and he is still the spiritual leader today of Romania because he had the guts of a gladiator. He wouldn't give in. I love Paul's wrestling theme. We're going to wind this down. Uh, Do we have any wrestlers in here? Anybody that's participated in the sport of wrestling? Okay. I don't know much about it. I wrestled with my brother a lot, but... um, he, he was bigger and older than me, so he, he whipped me most of the time. But I read about a guy out in Texas, a, boy, a teenage boy who didn't play any other sports. He read a book on wrestling and decided he wanted to wrestle. There was no wrestling program in his school. And so he went to a coach of another sport, and he said, Coach, I, I think I'd like to wrestle. We don't have a wrestling team, but there are wrestling matches in the county. Could you take me to some of the matches and let me try my... Skills, I've read this book, and the coach thought, oh boy, this is not going to be pretty. But I'll take you, I'll take you. He took him to his first wrestling match, and the boy won the match. He actually was very good at it. And he took him to another match, and he won that match. And that boy won every wrestling match he participated in. He won the local school area, he won the district, and he went to state to wrestle for the state championship. The guy he was wrestling against had been a two-time state champion, much bigger than him, very skilled at wrestling, and and nobody even knew this kid. So the match started, and in just a moment, that two-time state champion had taken this kid and put him on the floor and twisted him up like a pretzel. The coach couldn't stand to see this kid lose his first match, so he just turned his back. He was just... Disappointed. so he's going to be heartbroken. And all of a sudden, he heard cheering and clapping, and he turned, and his, his student, his wrestler, was standing there with his arm up. He had won the match. And he looked over at the coach, and, and, and the coach was in shock at how that thing, because that guy had him on the floor practically pinned. And he came running over, and he jumped up and hugged the coach. He said, Coach, I won, I won. He said, Yeah, I know, but how did you do it? The last time I saw you, he had you twisted like a pretzel. He said coach you've always told me not to give up not to ever quit he said you know me i'm not going to quit he said man he was tough he said he did he got me on the floor and he said i was so twisted i couldn't move any part of my body and he said i looked up and there was a big toe right in front of me he said "I was the only move i had he said i just reached over and just bit that big toe as hard as i could and you know, coach, it's amazing what you can do when you bite your own toe. <laughs> he got out of that hold and he won the match. Wrestling is an amazing sport. But here, here is the, the guts of a gladiator. If you get put down, you get right back up. That's the story. Perseverance is just getting up one more time than you're knocked down. Dr. W. A. Criswell used to tell the story about his neighbor who was a bird hunter, and he had two big old bird dogs in his backyard in the fence. And they were very territorial. And one day he said, I was, his neighbor said, I was looking out the window, and there was this little English bulldog that came prancing up the alley. And he got to the fence. He said, My two dogs were at that fence, and they were wanting to tear into that dog. He said, I was glad that fence was there. But you know what that little bulldog did? He wasn't but about a third the size of those two bird dogs, and it was only one of him. Two dog, he said he, weren't, he squirmed under the fence, and he took those two bird dogs on. And he said of all the howling and growling and fur-flying and teeth-bearing and, and, and saliva-slinging and blood, he said it was brutal. And that, my two dogs just tore that little bulldog up and said, then he wiggled up under that fence and limped off and hobbled off down the alley. He said, I thought, man, that'll teach him. Two days later, here he came again squirmed under the fence and tied into my dogs they ripped and snorted and 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 fur flying and howling and said man they tore him up again and he squirmed back out and hobbled off down the alley and i thought well that's something he said two more days later here he came again got in there the same story he said that went on about every two or three days for two weeks and my dogs would whip him every time and he said two weeks later I watched that little bulldog come back to the fence and wiggle under it. And he said, I watched my two bird dogs run to the other end of the yard, get in their doghouse and start whimpering. So that little bulldog sort of straightened up and poked his chest out and wiggled back under the fence and pranced off down the aisle, down the alley. Now, that little bulldog... Wasn't as big as those other two dogs. How did he win? He kept getting up after he was knocked down. You ever heard the phrase, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And that's what I'm talking about perseverance. You're going to get knocked down, you're going to lose some battles. The devil's going to win a few. The question is, are you going to win the war by getting back up? Are you going to give up? You can never defeat a man if he keeps getting up. And that's what the guts of a gladiator is about. Getting up one more time than you're knocked down. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have the heart of a hero? Do you... Want the spirit of a soldier? Are you willing to have the guts of a gladiator? If you do, this church will go forward. If you do, you can make a difference in your family and in your community and in this land. But you got to have the ability to get back up. Last illustration. This is a true story. Many years ago, there was a Prize fighter by the name of John L Sullivan. John L Sullivan was a massive beast of a man, and this was in when prize fighting was almost bare knuckle. It was before the modern boxing era. He was undefeated; no one had ever even knocked him down. Most people didn't even survive the first round with him. And John L Sullivan went up against a little pipsqueak that nobody had ever heard of. This was Rocky balboa before rocky was ever thought of this was true john l sullivan went up against a guy that nobody knew who it was they were the betting odds were a thousand to one that this pipsqueak wouldn't beat john l sullivan and most people were betting that he would never survive the first round even the little boxer's trainer said look i don't want you to get hurt He said, you're going to go out and you're going to fight one round. You see if you can make it through one round. And when you get through one round, I'm going to throw the towel in and we're done. You've made one round with John L. Sullivan, the greatest prize fighter ever to fight. He said, okay. So he goes out to fight John L. Sullivan. In that first round, John L. Sullivan hit him and nearly knocked him out with that first blow. He made it through the round and staggered back to his corner and his manager says, trainer said, well, well, he said, how are you feeling? He said, man, when he hit me, he said, I felt it from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. My whole body shook. I've never been hit like that. He said, okay, that's it. We're gonna." Throw. He said, no, no, don't throw the towel in yet. Let me see if I can go one more round. He went back out the second round, and John L. Sullivan beat him and pulled him and, and, and beat him. And this guy just somehow survived to the end of the round. He finally... knocked him down and the bell rang and he was saved by the bell, so to speak. They drug him to his corner and they said, okay, that's it. We're not going any further. He said, no, let me see. Can I go one more round? Went back out the third round. John L. Sullivan knocked him down three times. And on the third time, Sullivan later said, I was praying he wouldn't get back up. He said, I was afraid I was going to kill him. And he he kept getting up because every time he hit the turf, you know what went through his mind? One more round just going to go one more round. And he got back up and he came out the fourth round. Same thing. He was beaten bloody. He, in, the, in the fifth round, his eyes were so puffy he couldn't see. And back in that day, it was legal to do this. The trainer said, all right, that's it. I'm throwing in the towel. He said, no, cut me. And they would take a razor blade and, and cut, a, cut the, just a little slit in the puff of his eye to let the puff out so he could see and, and send him back in the ring. And he went back in. Sixth round, they fought. Seventh round, they fought. And this guy, every round, he had one thought in his mind. Can I go just one more round? Eighth round, ninth round, tenth round, twelfth round, fifteenth round. He's still fighting. He said his legs felt like jello. He said his arms felt like concrete. But he just kept going back out thinking one thing in his mind. What do you think it was? Say it. One more round. Fifteenth round. Seventeenth round. Eighteenth round. Twentieth round. He's still fighting. He is bloodied from head to toe, but he's thinking, I just want to go what? One more round. I, I mean, he's, he's, he's bloody, he's bludgeoned, he's bruised, he, he's, he's really hurting, but he just keeps saying that one phrase. One more round. The twentieth round. The 21st round, the 22nd round, the 23rd round, the 24th round. He comes out the 25th round. And for just a second, John L. Sullivan let his guard down. And this guy hit him and knocked John L. Sullivan out cold and won the fight. Later he was asked about it and this is what he said. This is what he said. When your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle back to the center of the ring, fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you're so tired you wish he would crack you on the jaw and put you to sleep, just fight one more round, remembering that the man who always fights one more round can never be whipped. Those are the words of Gentleman Jim Corbett. James Corbett, Gentleman Jim, who beat John L. Sullivan in the 25th round. Let me just say, all of us sometimes are stuck in a cycle of discouragement at times. You may be sitting here tonight saying, I- I'm so tired of trying, I can't live this Christian life. I'm so tired of sin." knocking me down. I'm so tired of the devil fighting me. I'm so tired of putting out all this effort to improve my life with no results. I'm tired of fighting this sin in my heart. Hear me tonight. God is wanting you to say this. Say it with me. One more round. All God is asking of you tonight is to be willing to get up and say, God, give me the strength. Give me the grace to go one more round some of you are here tonight and maybe uh, your life hadn't gone at all like you thought it was going to go and things have been tough your home life is horrible your 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 family is not treating you right and you're just sometimes you think about just giving up listen now here's what god wants you to hear tonight say it everybody one more round he wants you to say that one more round this church has been knocked down more than once when the tornado came through, you could have given up. And you could have said, that's it. It's over. But with good godly leadership and with good godly leaders, you didn't. You said, we've been knocked down. We're bruised and bloody. But you said, one more round. And you got back up. Brother Sam, he's been your pastor for 45 years. I can promise you, in that period of time, there have been times... He's probably wanted to lay it down and go somewhere else. Lay it down and retire. He might be thinking that tonight. What would you say to him? Say it to him. They want you to go one more round, Brother Sammy when you feel like it's about time to throw the towel in and you get discouraged and I know because I was a pastor 40 years I know those moments they want you to say one more round folks that's what God wants you to say tonight don't give up don't throw in the towel say God if you'll give me the strength I'm willing to go one more round and you'll see the victory Would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege of preaching this message tonight. It's one of my favorite messages to preach. I love to encourage people, and I pray this message has encouraged someone here tonight. Lord, Christians all over this place need to come down this aisle tonight and say, Pastor, I'm going with you. We're going to go one more round. We're not going to give up. We're not going to slow down. We're not going to sit down. We're not going to stop. We're going to go one more round. We're going to win this war and i'm standing with you maybe you're here tonight and and you you don't know what i'm talking about going one more round you've never gotten in the fight you've just been on the sidelines you've never really been saved you don't know the joy of salvation you don't know the the freedom of a total forgiveness of your sins did you know that if you ask jesus in your heart your sins all of your sins you've ever committed will be immediately forgiven He'll wash you clean you'll have a brand new slate it's like being it's like starting over with nothing wrong it's like being born again you get to get a brand new start that's what Jesus is offering you tonight if you're here tonight and you've got some things in your life you're ashamed of and you wouldn't want anybody to know about and you'd like for it to be wiped away, I'm going to invite you to come down this aisle, take Brother Sammy's hand and say, Preacher, I need that. I need forgiveness and I need to be saved. And he will, God will save you tonight. Jesus will come into your heart. Say, so how do you know he'll do that? Well, because he did it for me when I was 16 years old. I'm 64 now. I've never once regretted that decision. Some of you young people tonight are are trying to figure out whether you want to live for Jesus or live for yourself or live for the devil. And I can tell you there's only one right answer to that dilemma. Give your life to Jesus. Let him have you lock, stock, and barrel. He'll do things through you that you never could do without him. Come tonight. Some of you children tonight need to need to walk down this aisle and say, Brother Sammy, I want to be saved. I want to I want to know when I go to bed tonight that if Jesus comes back before I wake up, I'm going to be with Him in heaven. Do you know that? Do you have 100% assurance, 100% sure that if you died tonight, you'd go to be with Jesus? If you're not 100% sure, I'm asking you to come down this aisle and get that settled. This is the last night of revival. I've been waiting all week for somebody to be saved. Somebody tonight is going to be saved. Will it be you? You say, well, I'm afraid to walk down that aisle. Well, let me ask you this. Did Jesus go all the way to the cross for you or just part of the way? If he went all the way and died on the cross for you, is it so hard for you to just walk 15 steps down the aisle when people are so happy, cheering you on, praying for you? You come. Let the Lord have your heart in life. There's some mamas and daddies here tonight that You've kind of given up on that child that's wayward, and you don't, know, you don't see anything in them serving the Lord, and you've given up on them. You've stopped praying. Listen, you need to hit this altar on the run tonight and say, God, I'm about to give up, but I'm not. I'm going to say, Lord, give me the strength to pray one more round. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep believing. You're going to get a hold of my child or my brother or my sister or my parents, or whoever it is. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to take control of this invitation. There there are people sitting here tonight whose eternity, their eternal destiny is weighing in the balance right now. And a decision needs to be made. Lord, you help them make the right decision. And help them to be bold, to be strong, to be courageous, to have the heart of a hero, the spirit of a soldier. guts of a gladiator and to stand up for you and we'll praise you for what you're about to do in jesus name amen